Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome to the show. I am Andy Griffin. Thanks for tuning in today. We're going <laughs> to. Kind of funny. Uh, when you talk to your teenager about money, what happens, Steve? You know, they glaze Their over. Their eyes glaze over. <laughs> yeah. and so we're going to talk about money today, and we're hoping nobody's eyes will glaze over. Uh, it is Washington County School District Day here on the Andy Griffin Show. Steve Dunham is with me as usual. Good morning. A, uh, a deer hunt or elk. Are those elk or deer? Those are reindeer. I don't, it's, it's kind of a, a Swedish, a, a Scandinavian mm. appeal look. Okay, yeah, no, it looks good. But looks I got good. it from Old Navy, so it's not really Scandinavian. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the Old Navy yeah. version. Brent Bills is also with us. He is the business manager for the Washington County School District. Brent, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you being here. Now, uh, you guys started explaining to me about uh, revenue neutral uh, and, and all that stuff. And I thought, you know what? I don't understand it yet, what you're saying, but I think the goal of this show is going to be to help us understand what's, what's going on here uh, with our taxes, uh, how things get funded, how things work. I did want to start real quickly at the start of the show to talk about full-day kindergarten because I know yeah. that's been an issue that's come up uh, with uh, my sister is a, is a paraprofessional at one of the elementary schools, and there was, uh, you know, we were, I guess you called it a kind of a pilot program with a full-day kindergarten. How has that worked out, and is it going to stick around? So the state approached us, was it during the pandemic, Brent, or was it before the pandemic that we began this? Uh, we started at the uh, after the first year of the pandemic. So we, 2021. Correct. We used uh, some of our the ESSER money we received and decided we were going to run full-day kindergarten, uh, figuring that was a great way to get the kids caught up and actually get them a little bit ahead okay. um, during the pandemic. Uh, we took our results to the state legislature. They really liked the idea. They loved the test results. And uh, so they started funding all-day kindergarten to a small degree. Um, and uh, now we're asking for them to, to pick up the rest as the ESSER money goes away. Uh, we received confirmation last night that the Education Appropriations Subcommittee has prioritized the funding of all-day kindergarten. It's number four on their list. Um, so... So they're recognizing it, it actually works, and it's actually a good thing. It, yes. it really is, and it comes back to the data we were able to provide the state by by piloting this in Washington County, having our teachers do this. Again, it's still an, uh, an opportunity for the parents to choose if they want full day or half day. That That's a requirement that the state has set forth is, you know, there's may, might, might not be right for some parents, and that's okay. Mm. But the data shows that the kids do increase in learning very rapidly by having that full day versus the previous half day. This is a program that's near and dear to my heart. My daughter, my wife is a kindergarten teacher oh, okay. actually cool. in our school district, and uh, she's really enjoyed the program. Uh, it uh, has helped the kids. I know that uh, 95% of our kids in Washington County are actually taking the full-day option. Uh, I know I have a good friend who is also a kindergarten teacher, and, and she said, you know, the, the thing about it with the half day is you feel like you're just really starting to get it going, and then, oh, it's time to go home. And, and so 
when you have them a little bit longer, I know you have to contend with, you know, lunches and naps and things like that. But if you have them a little bit longer, uh, you would probably be no better than I would, Brent, uh, that it really makes a big difference. It it does. uh, It allows you to uh, uh, spend more time and get more interventions for the kids that are missing concepts, Mm. uh, literacy, uh, breakout groups, um, and math. Uh, breakout groups, and uh, so we're uh, ramping up actually our our math education a little bit more in nice. uh, kindergarten, which is going to help out these kids in first grade and on. Because if we can get them a good fundamentals in kindergarten, that just sets them up for success. I agree, and uh, you know I think it's a good it's a good thing, and uh, I think you know I mean much has been made of the fact that we are behind a lot of other nations in. Uh, getting our kids started, getting them going and learning early in life. And so I think this is a great idea to, to have the full-day kindergarten. So uh, that's out of the way. Yeah. It sounds like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's gonna stick around. So It's high on the, the appropriations list, which means that it's very likely that it will stick around. You know, we won't know for mm-hmm. sure until March. What's the last day of the – it's the uh, second week of March, right, Brent? No, the first week of March this year. Oh, it's the first so, week of March. So uh, March, I believe, 2nd is the last day of the legislative session. Okay. Uh-huh. So we'll know for sure then. But but we feel very comfortable with how everything looks, Andy. Good. That's good to hear. All right, let's talk a little bit about revenue neutral and taxes. It's no secret the biggest uh, tax bill you pay in Washington County uh, when you get your bill is to the Washington County School District. And Steve, Steve even brought his bill in for us. We're not going to talk about your bill specifically. But but, but generally, I think yeah. it's helpful for, for taxpayers to understand this is so important because the number one concern we hear from taxpayers is live within your budget, live within your means. Sure. They say, we have to. We have to create a budget. We have to live within it. And what we have done, and this has taken a good Brent, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe five years or better of planning on the school district and the board side to put the district in a position where we're saying, okay, we have a game plan where we can live within our means, and it is completely revenue neutral for the taxpayer. What that means is, is if you paid a certain amount last year, you'll pay the same certain amount this year unless the county assessor makes an adjustment to what you're paying. But what it does is we we have to just shift the money over so that we can do that. And and it's really a, a system that uh, we want the taxpayers to understand. We're not raising your taxes, and we won't have to come to you to ask for a bond in the future to build new buildings. And we will save millions of dollars, $10 million in interest payments alone is wow. how much we'll save our taxpayers by putting the system in place so that we can live within our means, not borrow the money, and we'll pay cash for every future school building that we have to build in Washington County. And that's impressive for a district growing like we're growing right now. Let's talk about that in the past. Okay, say, all right, we need a new high school over you know, our, near the Northern Parkway or, or whatever. What is the, the old process? If we need money, millions of dollars to build a new high school, what was the old process, Brent? Uh, we would go out to a bond election and we asked the okay. uh, task, taxpayers to pony up the money to mm. pay for that. And then we uh, issue those bonds and we have to pay interest on those bonds. Usually over the course of 15 years, we pay the bonds off. Um, this uh, uh, process we want to go to is we don't want to actually have to go out to bond anymore. 
Uh, we would like to pay cash up front. Last year, we, uh, as Steve said, we paid $10.6 million in bond interest last year. Our goal wow. is to get out of paying interest. And by not having to pay that interest, uh, we should be able to, uh, again, revenue neutral, so taxpayers aren't paying more in property tax for their capital and debt service levy combined between the two of them uh, as the debt service levy goes away. Um, uh, we can continue to build the schools even though construction costs are going way up. So where, if, we don't, if we're not going to need a bond, where will the money come from, say, next year if I want to build a new school? Correct. So what we do is, is we're going to take our debt service levy and we're going to dramatically reduce it, and we're going to raise the capital levy and by the same amount, okay. uh, collect the same amount of money, and then we're going to use that cash to build the schools. So essentially, if you look at your property tax bill, it says local school fund. And part of that local school fund, there are five different tax levies that make up the local school fund. Now, we're talking about adjusting two of those levies. We will lower the bond levy down by a certain amount, but we'll increase the capital levy by the same amount that we've lowered the bond levy. So we're lowering bond levy, we're increasing the capital levy. It's the same amount, so that's why it's revenue neutral. We're moving it out of this pocket, putting it into this pocket, which allows us to have that flexibility that we can then say, hey, we can now move forward and aggressively pay off our debt, save the taxpayers all the interest, and capture that those funds in our capital levy where we can put it to use in paying for schools. Um, something to... Uh, make some clarification here. You know, this last year we saw property taxes go up um, uh, because assessed values went way up, okay? A lot of that was created by the basic levy, which is set by the state. We don't set that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're required to uh, uh, levy that. Um, Our other levies all dropped, so we received the same amount of money overall from properties, okay? Uh, the same thing would happen here. So if property values went up, then actually the levy would drop so we would receive the same amount of money between those two levies. So people shouldn't worry about, well, inflation is going to make me pay a lot more money. No, it should not. Um, as long as your your property value is staying consistent with uh, the other property values around the county, then your property taxes should remain constant. I, th- I think a lot of people are, hey, I got a fixed income. I want to know the bottom line, Steve and Brent. The bottom line is, am I going to have to pay more money when my assessment comes? And the answer is no. No. Because what we're saying is, is we will have you paid the same amount you paid this last year, next year, but the law requires us to communicate to our taxpayers that we're shifting it from this one account to the other. It, and I keep using the example of pockets. It's like moving the money from your left pocket to your right pocket. It's the same amount of money. It's just in a different pocket. And the way the legislature has established all of these funds that the district captures its money from, we have to be clear and transparent to our taxpayers and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what our, what our goal is. So just like these people in our community that live on their fixed income, we We are saying we're going to have a fixed income, and we will never come to you and ask for a bond to build schools now, because this will make us self-sufficient. We will live within our means, and we'll be able to pay cash, so we're not paying interest on these buildings or on these bonds, which is, it really is, it's $10.6 million a year, which is what we paid in interest this last year. 
forgive me for being naive, but who was getting that interest money? Who are we borrowing that money from? Uh, a lot of people buy our bonds. It's in people's retirement accounts. It's in uh, different investment portfolios. So the marketplace buys our bonds. They're tax exempt, so people really like those because mm. they don't have to pay uh, the capital gains taxes on those. Um, uh, but uh, uh, the market, we believe, can survive without us putting the bonds out there. Uh, we really uh, want to try and save that money. And with interest rates going up uh, and the cost of construction going up, that amount of interest we would be paying over time if we continued to go down the same path we have been going would actually go up dramatically above the 10.6 over time. Are there other school districts out there who have tried this, who, who have done this, have succeeded at this, and are there others out there who have not succeeded at this or that you're aware of? I'm not aware of anybody that's tried to move this direction as heavily as we are. Mm-hmm. We're having some uh, districts that uh, were paying cash for a period of time. They got behind, and then they went and had to go out and start bonding. Um, uh, but uh, no one's really moved in this direction to try and get completely out of bonding and pay cash uh, this, with this. This is an aggressive stance we're taking, mm-hmm. but it's the right time because we are poised where we can pay off some of our old debt, which makes it a much better situation for us and for our taxpayers. We're used to paying this this amount of taxes right now. We will ask the taxpayers, let us just charge the same amount of taxes, but we can recapture what we've paid off in debt now into that new account, which will allow us to pay cash for our bonds. You know, as we've looked at this, realistically, we wouldn't have, or, or we looked forward, what would we have to do with growth in the school district if we didn't do this? And and we, we projected that over the next 12 years, we w- might have to bond for more than $700 million. Wow. And so that's with the growth. That's a lot of money. And that's a that's tens of millions of dollars in interest. And we, we don't want to burden that on our taxpayers. And so if we can do this now, we really are saving tens of, if not hundreds of millions of dollars over the next 10 to 12 years. What would, uh, what would change? We get excited about this and, and I think there's good reason to. It yes. seems like a, a really good plan. Have you guys played a little devil's advocate and said, all right, what are the pitfalls? What, what things might go wrong that this won't work? And I, I hate to bring that up, but I mean, we got to be realistic about it, right? Exactly so, right. Go ahead, Brent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, I'm very conservative, uh, in nature, and uh, my job requires me to be very conservative with numbers and make sure that we can make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have looked at it. We can make it work. Um, even if we have accelerated growth, we can still see a path of being able to do it without having to go out to taxpayers and make them, you know, or ask them to pay more money. Uh, we believe we can do it, again, being revenue neutral and keeping that going forward. Even if we have an emergency, because our board asked you the question, Brent, they said, what if we have a fire in a school or an mm-hmm. earthquake? And the answer was? Well, uh, fire, earthquake, we have insurance that pays for a lot of it, and we do have money to cover some of it. Um, we have some projects that uh, we need to do in our community uh, we have a school that the construction of the school, it was built uh, about 30 years ago, and it's not the best construction. It's not built like our other schools, and it's kind of falling apart, and the maintenance bills are starting to rack up very dramatically where we need to put millions and millions into it. Mm. So it probably needs to be replaced. Um, 
we have uh, uh, some other projects that we need to do. And if we have an emergency, we just don't do those projects. We continue to hobble things together and, and move forward with that, and uh, we would direct the money then towards those. But the great thing about this is having a budget, saying this is what we've got, this is what we have to live within, and making a commitment to the taxpayers that that's what we're going to do. And we're also excited about being the really the first school district in the state that is doing that. Yeah. Our taxpayers have asked us for years, live within your means. We're saying we can do that. Support us in this. Because, again, we have to we have to show it as in a truth and taxation hearing this fall, this summer. And so we want our taxpayers to understand that we're not really raising your taxes. We're moving it from one, one account to another account. I mean, wouldn't you enjoy if federal government came to you and said, <laughs> hey, we're not going to raise your taxes, but we're going to get out of debt and stop making those huge debt service payments? No. I mean, yes, we would love that. I don't think that will ever happen. You just said no. I said, I said. well, I was just thinking of, of Joe Biden saying, yeah, we're going to. No, I, I don't see that happening at all uh, with the federal government. In fact, their answer to uh, not having enough money is to print some more. There you go. Yeah, make the we cannot bigger. do that in the school district, no. darn it. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, any other pitfall, any other things that you're worried about with this? And like you said, you're very conservative, Brent, and your your job really is to say, okay, we got this plan. This is a great plan. What can go wrong? Anything else in your mind, or, or do you feel pretty confident that this is the way to go? We feel very confident this is the way to go. Again, it's been something we've been looking at and working towards for about six years, actually. And uh, um, uh, we, uh, I brought it to the board about five years ago and pitched it to them. They really liked the idea, and so we've continued down this path to try and uh, uh, set it up so that we can be very successful in this. So we've been stacking the dominoes so that we can make this happen for, for the five to six years, really, because we recognize that with with the way taxpayers are looking at the government, we we felt like we could be honest and say, hey, we can live within our means. Just support us as we transition these funds, as the state requires us to show you that we're moving it. We'll move it, and, and, and we need their support, but we will live within our means. We will establish that budget. We will live within our means. That's what this all comes down to, is allowing us to establish a budget that is fair, that's the same money we currently have. We're not asking for more. And we will go forward living within this budget. Uh, to simplify, in, in my mind, okay, say we have a family budget. Uh, you want a new car, you can go out and buy a car and get a loan. That's mm-hmm. like a bond for a new school. Yes, sir. And you're going to have payments, and you're going to be paying, well, quite frankly, the bank gets a lot of that money yes. through interest. Uh, the reverse plan would be to save up the money. And then you have the money on hand, and when you're ready to buy that new car, you go and buy it for cash and don't have to pay any interest. Is that similar to what we're talking about here? That's exactly what we're talking about, precisely what we're talking about, because we won't be paying the debt. We won't be paying the interest. We'll be able to capture those funds in a savings account, essentially, so that we can move forward and build our buildings. And with the rising cost of buildings... It's, it's, it's really kind of scary how fast construction prices have gone up. Yeah. We are very comfortable. That's why I even had Brent here bring his computer so that we could show we have spent the time, the years, to crunch the numbers, and we can make this a reality for the taxpayers of Washington County. It really is an exciting initiative. 
Let's uh, let's invite people to call in if they want to, 673-5890, if you have questions about this. Yeah, if you're a little shy and don't want to talk on the radio, you can text me at 435-467-5842. Let's take our first phone call. Hey, thanks for calling on uh, calling in. You're on with Brent and Steve from the school district. Good morning. Good morning. morning. So are you guys going to stop doing the uh, spend a dollar to save a penny on uh, different materials or different like uh, electronic equipment to uh, for things at the schools and lower the budget for these extravagant uh, lighting fixtures that go up in these schools and things like that? Well, I, I, I can't say that we're lowering anything. We're, we're going to continue to build the buildings that we've built in the past. Um, you know, if you look at our cost per square foot on our construction costs we are lower than the universities spend on a, on a cost per square foot we're we're lower than other school districts in the state because we do the tilt up constructions and that typically saves us close to 20 to 25 percent of the cost of our building so even though our buildings might look extravagant they cost less than school buildings a comparable school building built in northern Utah, and that's simply because of our construction methods that we also pioneered, the tilt-up construction. Is that fair, Brent? Yes, we actually received an award from the Utah Taxpayers Association on how uh, frugally we build our buildings. Um, It's the only... We're the only district in the state that's received that award, yes. and they came out and presented it to us because we are actually very conservative in uh, our spends on schools and what we're putting into them. And, and so right. we, we recognize that it does appear fancy, but honestly, it's not. I, we've had people comment, why do you put all these windows in? Well, honestly, the cost per square foot of glass is cheaper than the cost per square foot of cinder block. Hmm. I, I did that. I did that research before the pandemic and before construction costs shot up. And so I, I, I say that now, knowing that my data is from 2019. But the cost per at that time, 2019, the cost per square foot of glass, a window, was cheaper than the cost per square foot of cinder block. Hmm. So it looks nicer. It brings in more light and yet it costs less to the taxpayers. These are some of the things we have tried to look at, you know, as we do the tilt-up. It's all concrete. It's not the cinder block. It's a much quicker construction method as well. And that's why we're, we're able to realize the savings on the building. So our buildings might look super nice and expensive, but the reality is is you're not paying as much as other school districts, and, and it's, very, it's good for the taxpayer. Right. And as far as the lighting goes in, in the classrooms, though, you're spending, like I said, you're spending a dollar to save a, like a, a penny or a nickel with all these, you know, I understand the LED. That's, I, I completely understand that. But when you got all these saving things, whereas when the light's on, the lights go down, or the sun's out, lights go down, all this stuff, but you don't end up making any money for at least another 20, 30 years. And by that time, that technology is, you know, obsolete and there's something else that's different. There, there are pieces of technology in the buildings that you're accurate, that do cost 20 years to pay off, but yet the lifespan of our buildings is typically 40 to 50 years. So you're, you're, you are accurate. There are some things that we do spend more on knowing that it will co- take us 20 years to recover those costs, but when you have the life of a building slated at 40 to 50, which is how our buildings currently built are, they're slated at 40 to 50, in some cases more, I believe. Yeah, the the actual shell of the building's built for uh, being an 80-year building. 
Um, but after about 40 years, you have to go in and do a major remodel inside of it, mm. go through replace HVAC, go through replace ev- pretty much everything inside the building. And, and I think the number one cost that that I think you're referring to is not re- so much our lighting. It's our ground source heat pumps. Ground source heat pumps are expensive to put in, and yet, and they do take about 20 years to recoup the cost of those, and yet they are so efficient that that you know over that 20 years you really have recovered those costs um, so on the our elementary schools we are no longer putting the ground source heat pumps in um, we found that the again the cost savings is long enough and uh, uh, the with the smaller buildings it's uh, not as efficient as we would like um, so we aren't going to be putting them in the elementaries and we've stopped we haven't been putting them in for about five years but the larger buildings, the payoff is actually under 10 years for our yeah, big high school I, I middle schools. I know for schools. a fact the air conditioning systems, that, that the new system they're using is very efficient where they don't all bump at the same time. So you're yeah. not getting that high uh, wattage yeah. purchase. You're actually you know staggering that. I completely agree with. But I've worked on some of the lighting things in mm-hmm. some of these schools, and it just seems like by the time they will start making money, they're those tech that technology is obsolete um we're, we're always looking at value engineering things i will actually make sure that in my next meeting uh, i'm supposed to meet with uh the uh, uh facilities folks in the next couple of weeks again um uh, we meet regularly to go over different costs of what things are going over and i will make sure that uh, i bring up the uh you're talking about the automatic Classroom lighting the, the the controls that turn on and off the lights automatically is that correct Right. The ones okay. that, you know, ones that are next to the window, they'll, they'll dim down, you know, depending on how much light's coming in. It just seems, I mean, I don't know. Okay. It just seems like there's like a little too much going on that doesn't, that's not necessarily, you know, that just, like I said, spend a dollar to save, you yep. know, to save a penny. <laughs> oh, understood. I will bring that up with our facilities guys and we'll take a look at it. Hey, and this is good Thank feedback. You. I appreciate you calling in Thank because... You. You know, and recognizing that, hey, what we're doing with our, our heating and our HVAC is is efficient, and we are looking for ways that, as Brent said, we can value engineer our buildings better. So thank you for bringing that, bringing that up. Let me get a weather break in here. We're talking uh, revenue, money, tax, gas. Uh, Bring light, them all in, lighting, every question you it, want. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on the Andy Griffin Show with Brent Bills and Steve Dunnan from the Washington County School District. We'll be right back. Did he really say that? It's the Andy Griffin Show, weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Radio 890, 92.5, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Andy Griffin Show, it's 939. Uh, you know, like it or not, guys, being in the school district, you guys are held to a higher standard. You are the ones who are. You have our children for yeah. six, seven, eight hours a day. And so uh, whatever else happens, people go, well, the school district ought to be the shining example. And so <laughs> as we're talking about this uh, revenue neutral and staying within a budget, it seems like to me this is something that makes obvious sense. And it's something that should happen if we're going to teach our kids how to, you know, live on a budget, then we ought to be able to live on a budget ourselves, right? You know, that's very true. And it takes a diligent, uh, I'm going to be honest here, a diligent business administrator that has been um, frugal 
with how the district has spent money to put you in the position that you can do something like this. It, it takes a board as well, but it really does. And we have we are known for having other districts say, what is Jordan doing about this? What is Jordan doing about this? The superintendent says regularly, if you're not making dust, you're eating it. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Jordan. Said Jordan I twice. said Jordan? You did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've, I've been away from Jordan's Brent, school district for seven years now. Brent and I were kind of thinking, Washington. no, wait, Jordan. What did Jordan. he say? Okay, yeah. I apologize. But, but the superintendent has said, if you're not making dust, you're eating it. And he yeah. says, I don't like to eat dust. And so that has been the philosophy we have attempted in each of our departments as we've moved forward, whether it's been in all-day kindergarten, whether it's been in test scores in science and math, which we lead in also, whether it's been in the Dibbles reading assessment, which is now Acadia, correct? So we are achieving, we are among the highest in the state in all of these little things. So it only makes sense that Likewise, in our budgeting, we're also leading the state in saying, hey, we have a game plan that we can move forward and live within our means. Now, it does require taxpayer support as we go to this truth in taxation in August. Yeah. It, with growth, there comes a lot of things. Uh, obviously, I mean, we're close to 100,000 now in St. George, close to 200,000, maybe over 200,000 in the county. Yeah. You guys have, what was it, 35,000 students? Thirty-six thousand, several hundred. Wow. That, that includes preschool. No, that's not. Oh, that's not, not including preschool. preschool. Oh, he knows the numbers better than anybody. <laughs> believe me. Yeah. So with growth, you have. I mean, the natural things with growth is you have more traffic, more crime, mm-hmm. uh, urban blight, if you will. Which hopefully we're you know we've got we're not we don't have any yet in St. George, but you never know. Uh, do you account for all those things when it comes to you say, I mean, are we, are, are there more students with issues, more students with problems? Are, are there gang problems? Do these things come with the additional growth that we have? I think it's comparable to every other school district mm-hmm. for per capita. Does that make sense? Sure. We have similar issues in our district. It's naive to say that we don't have bullying issues or we don't have drug issues because we have them. We know they're there, but we try to address them. But I'll tell you, one of the other things that we do that I think is unique to Washington County School District, not Jordan, Washington <laughs> County School District, is we have such a great partnership with school resource officers in every single secondary building. Um, not every other school district has that, where they have a school resource officer in every secondary building. And so we have an officer there who gets to know the children, gets to know who might ha- be more of a, a problem or who needs more assistance or who has a harder home life. And those officers can right. befriend, work with, and change those patterns right from a younger level, starting in the sixth grade where they enter secondary school in our intermediate schools that's a huge difference that makes it um i would say a little bit different and more positive for the outcomes of those at-risk children Uh, the state has stepped up to the plate as well the state legislature um they had a the state school board and the the state legislature had a study come in and look at funding in uh, utah specifically uh, equity and making sure that districts uh you know uh, could deal with the issues that they were uh, having. The number one thing that came out of that was we needed more money for at-risk youth. And uh, they uh, have made efforts over the last uh, several years to increase that funding. They moved it from something we call a below-the-line, which means the legislature has to set aside funding every single year for it. And if they 
doesn't automatically increase with the number of students. There's no inflation adjustment. There's nothing. So they moved it above the line, so it automatically gets these inflationary adjustments. Mm-hmm. It's adjusted for the number of students. And then they put a lot more money into it. And, again, and we talked about at the very beginning that, you know, that those top four priorities uh, that uh, um, all-day kindergarten's in, uh, additional money for at-risk funding is also in that top four. Uh, so they're planning on putting a lot more money into that, which really helps us out uh, putting programs in place to help to deal with some of the things you're talking about. Uh, because as you grow and you have those some of those issues, those are at-risk kids, and yeah. we need to get programs in place for them uh, to help pick them up so that we can have every student be successful. Can can we? Is there a, a definition for at-risk kids in general, or is it more of a nebulous kids that – need help and come from a, a tough background i mean is there an actual definition outlined so, by the school district yes so each school district is required to have a definition and we do have a, a definition for at-risk students um, that has been approved by the school board and uh, it basically uh, includes uh, students that are low income uh, esl mm-hmm. um, uh, are have failed a subject in a secondary school are, uh, you know, it's kind of an all-inclusive of kids that are at risk of academic failure um, uh, from a class of student to they're actually struggling in academics that we can then uh, get them involved in programs, uh, do a lot of things to help them get caught up. Uh, We've done some things with our uh, online education to help with students that are falling behind because if a student falls behind, they fell a course, right? Then they go, oh, well, I failed the course. It's going to be harder to graduate, so right. I'm not going to try as hard. We immediately get them into an online course, get them caught up, get them passed, and move forward uh, so that they stay caught up. And we've actually seen our graduation rates go up because of that, and it's been quite, quite impressive what we've seen there. A couple of things. I got a text about uh, Superintendent um, Larry Bergeson is retiring. That's no secret. Yes. Uh, they are going to announce, is it this coming Tuesday, so five, six days from now? It is on the board agenda. Okay. So February so, the 14th, 4.30 p.m. Oh, is the Valentine's board Valentine's Day. Yes. Uh. It'll be a lots of love for the new announcement. So if you're looking for a date night, um, this could be a winner for you. <laughs> or, yeah. 4.30 at the school district, I guess. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bring flowers or, or chocolates, right? Yes, uh. that, that's correct. <laughs> Okay, and uh, a friend to snuggle with. Another another thing, uh, someone had texted about. This was actually a couple of days ago, but they were asking about the school, uh, the vouchers, the money back to parents who want to take their kids and either school them at home or go to a private school. Does the district have a position on those? Yeah, uh, the school boards association, superintendents association, uh, were opposed to it. Um, one of the main reasons is the accountability or lack of accountability attached to it. Um, uh, I mean, I, I think uh, everybody's aware of what happened with a certain private school in the last uh, uh, week up north uh, with huge embezzlement and everything else mm-hmm. like that. And most of that was uh, our understanding uh, tuition money, and that's what this money is allowing is it to go to organizations like that? Well, that let me ask you, Brent. Accountability and controls on. If there was accountability, would 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 that change the the district's position in your mind? I mean, if if they had to abide by a lot of the same rules that a public school has to abide by, uh, would that would then that be okay? I, I 
I can't speak for the board. Right. I can't speak for right. the different groups. But I think that is the biggest hurdle that we have is that it's not the same accountability measures. And uh, uh, we're talking about taxpayer dollars, and we believe that there ought to be accountability attached to any expenditure in taxpayer dollars. I had uh, two families I knew that homeschooled their children. Uh, one family, their children were incredibly bright and in fact they were by the time they were out of age they would have graduated from high school they were already basically college they, they were already far ahead of where they would be if they were mm-hmm. freshmen or sophomores in college did a fantastic job i had another family that homeschooled their kids were and i'm not gonna say the kids were dumb the kids were uneducated because they were not taught they were there was not a framework put together and so it seems like to me i mean i i agree with what you're saying there needs to be accountability I don't know, test scores is it? I don't know how you measure that, but it seems like there there needs to be say, look, I want to homeschool my kids. Okay, well, show to me that you can do it and that your kids are actually progressing. That's, that seems important. Yes. And, and isn't it accurate that that's how the money will be allocated is not directly to the parents, but to a clearinghouse that will vet the uh, approved sources who can then uh, um, approve appeal for the money or apply for the money so they have a very very loose accountability measure okay Mm -hmm. um so what it requires uh if you're going to use it to pay for homeschool supplies and so forth um you have to agree to either take a test which they don't know what the test will be Mm. or you have to have them turn in a portfolio um at some point again uh, what happens if they there's no measurement saying you have to have a certain test score or you don't get the money. It's just you have to be willing to take the test. There's nothing saying that the portfolio has to be accepted. You just have to agree to submit a portfolio of the work. Um, and uh, that that's a real concern. But also it's uh, made to pay for tuition to private schools. And the private schools don't have the same uh, standards. standards or criteria you know, we don't know what they're teaching. Um, that That's part of the issue. You, you know, in the end, I, I come back to we feel comfortable here in Washington County that we do a very, very good job educating the children. Mm-hmm. So while this may be the right fit for some parents, for us as a school district, at the most it might appear as a bump in the road for us, and we'll continue to do a very good job. Parents will continue to choose Washington County School District schools because, again, we come back to our teachers. Our teachers do such a good job of showing up day after day, caring about the children, and helping them learn what they need to learn to be prepared and move on. And if we can keep focusing on that, we will continue to be successful, and it really will just be a bump in the road for us. Awesome. All right, got to take a break. When we come back, got a couple of texts I want to get to. Uh, we're talking Washington County School District today with the business manager. Did I get that right? Business, business administrator. Man- administrator Brent Bills and uh, with uh, Steve Dunham. We'll be right back. All right, talking to schools today, Brent Bills, uh, business administrator for Washington County School District is here, as well as Steve Dunham, who is our usual guest. Does such a fantastic job, communications director. For I love coming district. in every every month. Uh, got a text here, and, and I think it's a fantastic question. Uh, she says, look, uh, with the border the way it is in, in the south, southern part of the United States, there is now an increasing uh, uh, influx of illegal or, or Ill- illegal, uh, well, Hispanics and other, other, uh, other nationalities coming in. 
Uh, has that affected our schools? And what what is what does a parent have to present to get a school into a a kid into a Washington County school? All right, uh, legally we are not allowed to ask. Really, um, not 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 allowed to ask at we all. We are not allowed to ask. We have to educate every student that lives in Washington County. Really, regardless of legal status, we're not allowed to ask legal status. That's the law. Um, we can uh, require uh, guardianship of a person that lives in the area. So there just has to be an adult that says, I'm their legal guardian. Okay. And that's what's required uh, is a parent or a legal guardian. That's it. That's it. That's it. And so, is it a problem for the school district, Brent? Um, we know that the number of ESL students has gone up in our school district over the years. Um, and uh, we have uh, a great ESL program. Um, with the with the issues that by, are going by the on. way, English for, as a second oh. language, a lot of people are like ESL. We what does use that acronyms mean? in sorry. education a lot. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, English is a second language, so we have a, a lot of Spanish speakers uh, that are uh, primarily Spanish speakers when they come into the school system, and we have a great program to help with them. One of the issues we are dealing with is it's just hard to hire a lot of our classified employees, our paraprofessionals. Um, I think everybody's having a problem uh, with a little bit of a labor shortage. And uh, there are mm-hmm. some of the uh, parapro uh, positions that are a lot uh, easier to do than some of them like the uh, special ed and the ESL. And so uh, we are struggling a little bit to keep all those paraprofessional positions hired uh, to help those students. Um, but it is uh, something that is at the top of our list of things that we need to do is keep those positions uh to help those kids, does it, uh, Steve? Does it affect a classroom if there are, say, five ESL students in the classroom? It, does that hold the other students back? I think with the programs we have in place, it truly does not hold the other students back. So, so the question is: is is it a problem? I would say it's a challenge that we're we're facing well right now. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider it a problem per se. Is that accurate, Brent? That is. Um, one of the reasons we started our dual language programs in the uh, uh, district mm-hmm. was to help the ESL students. It's proven that if you take a uh, student and you put them in an ESL environment where it's part-time uh, the, their primary language and then part-time English, that they actually pick up the English a lot faster. Really? They feel successful in school. And uh, that's why we did it uh, at our first school, which uh, Dixie Sun, now Paradise Canyon. Um, which was recognized by the Spanish government as the best dual immersion school in the entire United States. Very cool. So uh, uh, we, uh, our, two of our Spanish-speaking schools are two that has some of the highest ESL populations. And that's why we have those programs in there is to help those students and make it so that it is an impactful on the school. And so it's not really a problem. So, so dual immersion schools, some of them are actually, of course, we've got our kids learning Spanish, but we actually have a lot of kids that speak Spanish who are learning English. Correct. That, you don't think about that, really. You know, we have the, you know, you've got dual immersion Chinese or dual immersion Portuguese, but dual immersion Spanish is actually serving as a, a dual purpose. Exactly. Right. It really Very is. Cool. And, and that's how we're being more cost efficient as we're trying to find additional support resources. The labor, we can have them in this, and they're getting that support they need. So, so we have a program that's considered almost a gifted program that is actually also helping uh, students that are second language learners. That is that is really cool. Well, I like. It seems like good things are happening 
with the school district, especially with the uh, revenue neutral uh, adjustment. Uh, but you guys, at what point do you have to actually face the public, the truth and taxation thing? It will be August, correct, Brad? That'll be in August. It's coming August. Okay. Well, guys, uh, believe it or not, we've used up our hour. It uh, went fast. But please, if others have questions, have them call us at the school district. We'd love to talk with them. Very good. Steve Dunham, Brent Bills, thank you guys for coming in today. Thank Appreciate you for it. having us, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Mayor Thursday is tomorrow. Chris Staley from Washington City is going to join me. We're going to talk about all those buildings they were knocking down out there. When we are here tomorrow, we'll talk to you then.